Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me on the show today, I have Aviv Kanani, and he is the VP of Marketing at Data Rails, and he also teaches a course um, called Startup Marketing. So you know he's going to have some really good marketing insights to share with us today. But Aviv, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Sam, for having me. I love following you uh, on your different channels, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome, man. Love to hear it. Um, before we kick it off, I always like to start things off with a fun question. So are you team Apple or team uh, Android? Uh, I think like a lot of people are going to be disappointed in my answer, but I'm team Android. Oh, no. <laughs> they might be. Any reason in particular why? I just like the underdogs, or at least I don't know if they're still like the underdogs, but at least back then, like, I don't want like, everyone to be able to like, to have to, you know, uh, BN Team Apple, so you know, <laughs> mixing it up a bit, but uh, yeah, uh, sometimes like uh, in different occasions, like uh, I'm being convinced to try a few different Apple products, and maybe I'll convert one day. But for now, I'm still Team Apple. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's that's funny, man. Um, well, again, I appreciate you being here. This is gonna be a cool topic that we're gonna dive into today, which is should B2B startup marketing be proactive? Um, so my first question for you is. You know, not everything needs to be lead generation. Um, we need to measure more than leads. Uh, and I think that that is a narrative that's been pushed out for sure. But if that's the case, what should we measure instead or alongside that? Uh, definitely. So before like, I dive into what else to measure, I have to say, like, of course, the first thing you want to measure is leads, MQOs, SQOs, and eventually, of course, uh, revenue generated uh, from your marketing channels at the end of the day this is how you're being measured by your ceo uh, you, know, you can build as much of a brand as you think you know you you want but you know at the end of the day you need to prove you know to your management team that uh, you are actually delivering results now that said and of course again that should be <laughs> the main focus. way <laughs> yeah getting that out of the way of course uh, you should measure other things because i think a lot of especially startups and uh, been like a few startups by now and you fall into the trap that you can do everything with a paid acquisition and at some point you hit a ceiling and then you're stuck you know the things that work for you in like small ten thousand dollar budgets 100 200k might not work once you scale and then you're stuck especially if you didn't build a brand by then so going back to your question so you know it's very easy i think for to say, okay, I'm just like building a brand. I'm doing like high quality stuff. I want qualitative information, you know, from my target audience. But I'll give you an example of what I give as like a quantitative way to measure it. Uh, I gave that as like one of the OKRs for my director of content and communications because I want him to only create content that isn't measured based on MQLs, but really just high quality stuff to build the, the brand and have people follow us. So for him, I gave him for this quarter a goal of 300 comments for people in our target audience. Doesn't matter if it's on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, whatnot, but getting to produce content that real people in our target audience, not employees, not our friends or family, get to actually comment on. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think he's doing like a great job with that so far. Uh, 
And I think it's a very good way to measure it. It's, mm -hmm. you, know, you can still put a number to it, but of course you can see exactly how that correlates to uh, you know, revenue. Mm -hmm. But you know, for me, it's a way to build a brand. And I'll just give another thing that you can measure, uh, even if you uh, tie it back to like lead generation, is all the leads that you get uh, that are, we call it like brand leads that come either from direct or from organic search for people that first landed on your homepage rather than the other page that can be like more SEO. So that's something I'm tracking as well. Like how many leads uh, we get direct and organic. Uh, and for me, this is like a good measurement for how we're building our brand. Mm -hmm. So what you said was basically that these companies, they, they focus on this paid acquisition, right? And then they get to a certain point they hit the cap and then they realize and they look back that they never really invested in building a brand, right? And that's where the mistake happens. Now it's too late. Yeah, exactly. So you should do it like, you know, uh, while you're working on, you know, your user acquisition, again, it's super important. I hear like always like a great, the director of user acquisition, great teams uh, to support that and work with great agencies. But while you're doing that, you have to put a lot of focus in building a brand because it has to grow while you're growing your user acquisition, because like this is how I think a lot of VP marketing people or CMOs get fired. Uh, the way, the reason that that's the role probably you stick with, you know, the least uh, in uh, the C-suite is that I think it's like less than 24 months now. The reason is that at some point you hit a ceiling, you won't be able to show the CEO how you know you're increasing the pipeline, uh, generating more high-quality meetings. And that's where you're stuck. That's where, you know, after a year or two, you will find yourself, you know, not generating the results and, you know, have to come up with excuses to your CEO. And at that point, you can't spend your way out of that mess, right? Exactly. Because just think about it, like in terms of the target audience, you know, sometimes it's easy when you just say the words like a brand or user acquisition, but what do we actually mean? Imagine you're like in our target audience. In my case now in data reels, we're selling to CFOs, directors of finance, people in the CFO office. Imagine everything they know about data rails, it just like our ads saying, sign up for a demo now. This is the only thing we're telling them. And when you think about it, usually, you know, in your target audience, you have maybe one, 2%, maximum 3% that are actually in market. They're going to be open to buying uh, your product, but you don't want to talk only to them. You want to talk with the other like 97, 98%. You want to have like high quality content, like entertain them. And we can talk about it later, like how you can do that whether it's, you know, stuff that's more funny or maybe it's like thought leadership, but you want to have like this kind of engagement with them without having to measure exactly how many of them click to sign up for a demo or a free trial, depending on which product you're working on. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to building a brand, obviously we covered the basis where yes, upfront, you're going to get fired if you're not generating some sort of pipeline of revenue, right? In tandem with that, you need to be building your brand. And one of the ways that we can do that is interacting with our target audiences online. What does that look like to you? Um, yeah, so do like a lot of different things. Like for example, we noticed, you know, in our finance segment that uh, many of them are like on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, so we actually create a lot of content with like different influencers uh, in our target audience. We do like fun videos. We actually did now a funny video in terms of like how much uh, finance people love Excel. And we interviewed like five, six people in our people that write a lot of content like in LinkedIn and we posted that and it got a lot of great engagement. Uh, we also, you know, respond and, uh, you know, to what people in our target audience actually write on LinkedIn without, again, like just telling them, oh, check out that video, uh, you know, come assigned to a demo. Like, you know, we want to be a part of the conversation uh, with them. 
Uh, I also did the same thing in my previous company was that I was at Workies. It's a CRM for uh, locksmith, electricians, and so on people in the field service. Uh, over there, it was actually much more popular Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. And again, like, you know, we would interact with them, create like interesting content. Like one of the things that I think got the, one of the most like engagement uh, that we did, we actually did like for Mother's Day uh, interview with like five uh, women uh, that are in field service, which again is like less popular, like you mm-hmm. know, uh, women in like junk removal, that mm-hmm. own business. And yeah, like it got so much engagement, like, you know, especially those women like shared it. It was amazing. Like, Lots of comments. And again, it wasn't focused on just driving lead generation, but I'm sure like it was able to like build our brand and do like something nice and fun that people enjoyed. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is that many people default to thinking, well, the, my target audience is going to be on LinkedIn. Right. And I guess we're, we are in the B2B space. So I guess that's something to the majority of our buyers really are there. But Mm -hmm. even in your past company, you said that, you know, Facebook groups was, something really powerful that you made these connections in. And that's something that you guys really dug in because you knew your customers, right? Or your buyers. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you can tell all we want about, uh, you know, understanding your target audience, building a persona and all that, but if you really want to understand where they're at. Uh, in our case, in many cases in B2B now, it's like LinkedIn and my previous company. Yeah, they were like in different Facebook groups. I'm sure like the most hardest groups to go into is like group chats and all that. That's really like stuff that's <laughs> happening. A lot of small group chats, but it depends. You know, I actually spoke recently with like a, an event manager uh, in another company, not a competitor that sells, you know, to CFOs and they were able to build like an amazing Slack uh, community mm. of people, you know, just sharing ideas uh, about, you know, how to be better, you know, at the, their jobs uh, without, you know, trying to like push any product. And I think that's amazing. Like, you know, if you were able to even create the community, that's, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, you want to be there where discussions are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, another point that you kind of bring up is you were a part of these communities, but it doesn't sound like you necessarily had to create them. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. In many cases, you know, we join different communities. Um, now, like in LinkedIn, you know, we're just like following like some of the influencers and creating content with them. Like we didn't generate any community yet uh, when I was at Workies. Uh, so we joined like existing like Facebook groups, for example, for junk removal people or for locksmith. And we participated in them like we even sponsored some of those groups. And it was all focused on but really how we can bring value, how we can make things interesting. Like for, I'll give you an example for now, like uh, uh, when we do now B2B marketing uh, for CFOs, we know some of the influencers and thought leaders in this space, you know, want to do like more research to understand, you know, what the CFOs, uh, how they're making decisions regarding FP&A, financial planning and analysis. So we actually are partnering with some of them now to do uh, research, you know, so we have the tools, like maybe something they don't have. They have like the community and the people following them. We have the budget to actually Mm -hmm. make it happen. So yeah, we're now doing like a CFO research together with them. And it's like a win-win for everyone. That's really cool. When it comes to commenting engaging, even answering questions in some of these communities, are they um, people from your team? So maybe BDRs, some people from your marketing team, or is it you are interacting from a company level, maybe from a company page? Yeah, so I think it's like all of the above. I think we're still trying to figure it out. And um, the main thing I tell my team is like, we just need to be authentic. You know, like sometimes I see it, for example, in influencer if you're writing something that like the answer for whatever he's writing is data reels is of my company so yeah when i comment they say you know like i'm, I'm biased but you know abc and so on like you don't want to create an impression as if you know you're just pushing your product or like you're hiding like what you're actually 
selling. Uh, yeah, it's hard. And I think it's especially hard, you know, to educate other people in the company to do that mm-hmm. uh, in the, the right way. Uh, but we're constantly working at that and trying to improve in that. And like I can add that sometimes if you can't train your own people to do it, sometimes you can just hire them. <laughs> so, you know, we're actually looking in like thought leaders in the space. And yeah, and I think like maybe at least one or two will join us uh, in the future. That's and then cool. it's much easier, you know, then when they're part of the conversation, they're really thought leaders, authentic, but now they work with that rails. <laughs> you know, I really like that move. And I've heard many companies say that that's the direction you should go and then not execute it. And, you know, for a number of reasons, I'm sure it just wasn't a fit for them. But so what you're saying is you went out, you found a subject matter expert or a thought leader in the space of your ideal buyers, and then you're you're looking to bring them onto your team, right? Yeah, that's yeah, exactly awesome. that. I think it's like a shortcut for all this stuff. I think it's real. It's authentic. It's not like, you know, you're paying them like, uh, you know, behind, you know, people's back, like as if you're, you're lying to someone, but you know, you're built, you're bringing that expertise to the team. I think, you know, that's so many think themes now, like in B2B marketing, like I've been hearing, you know, different, uh, you know, thought leaders talk about like, you know, like uh, Chris Walker, like Gerhard and all that. They talk about like have a subject matter expert on the team. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is find, find them and hire them. Like yeah. people that are already comfortable about writing and appearing in videos and all that, it's much harder to like take a subject matter expert and teach them how to be more extrovert, like sure, become a thought leader, that's harder. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned that a lot of your team including your company page, are interacting with people in these communities, which I think is a great way to do it. I see a lot of companies executing that. But you also brought up that sometimes you might get a little pushback because maybe people think you're trying to sell something or maybe people on your team think it's a sales opportunity. How have you navigated that to make sure it's really relationship-based and not like a, a bait and switch sort of thing? I think it's a guidance from the top. It's like what I do, like it's not only that I instruct my team, I personally interact with them. I think like my team and other people in the company see how I interact with them without being like too pushy. And, you know, maybe like, uh, I'm not sure about like salespeople, but like everyone else in the company anywhere are not incentivized in that way. I'm not going to pay anyone in the marketing team for how many like leads they brought from interacting with people online. That's again, like maybe the SDRs are going to do that or, you know, salespeople, but uh, and again, like I wish they actually they would do some of it more, but you know, and for us, it's like, being a part of the conversation and you never know, like sometimes, you know, after you are part of the conversation, then, you know, some of those thought leaders are going to approach you mm-hmm. and come up with ideas. And that's something that really recently happened to us. We did this really fun video, actually, like uh, we worked with thought leader in terms of like, what is his thoughts, you know, for 2022 in the FPNA space, financial planning analysis. And after that video, actually like other influencers came to me directly, <laughs> like on LinkedIn and asked like, oh, we will also want to do videos with you. It seems like you're creating like, great content. And it's, you know, again, like being, being authentic, uh, you know, not lying about like what mm-hmm. we're doing. We're very direct. Yeah. So when you bring these thought leaders in, are they on your team yet? Or is this like a future move? Uh, this is something in yeah, negotiations now. Okay. But uh, yeah, so some of them, I think you can bring as like full-time employees. And some of them you can bring as like uh, as contractors, you know, mm-hmm. in a limited capacity. Uh, either, you know, you create different like eBooks or white papers with them, or you can create uh, maybe even a podcast and have one of them mm-hmm. hosted. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. Uh, and we're doing like all the above. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is what are some things like, what is their job description once they're either hundred percent on board with you or as a contractor? So you said um, you can create podcasts, which I think is a great idea. Um, eBooks and white pages. Um, will you have them 
be like a subject matter expert uh, and create content for LinkedIn and stuff like that? Is that, uh, you know, some of your thinking as well? Yeah. So I think like for thought, like, so for contractors, you know, if it's like, you know, uh, based on projects and all that. So of course, you know, we just had another different price, you know, per you know, whether it's a white paper, ebook or, or a video or whatever, but uh, full-time again, like in the process of doing that, then yeah, it's actually like something I'm debating now. It's uh, the thought is like, should we hire them hundred percent to the marketing team? Or maybe we put them, you know, like on a different team that interacts more with clients, for example, mm-hmm. like cl- customer success. And then we just yeah. tell them like 10, 20% of your role is like being a thought leader, you know, like just keep on doing what you're doing, like on LinkedIn or do a podcast. Uh, because I think a lot of them also don't want to just do marketing 100%. Mm-hmm. They also want to be able to interact with people, you know, like with clients or prospective clients and then like share that knowledge that they gain as part of marketing. But, you know, if you're just with talking with the marketing team all the time, I think it's like narrows uh, how many people you actually talk with. Uh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the secret, like your secret sauce to being proactive with content, whether or not it's using a subject matter expert or even some people internally, what's your secret to, to staying proactive with it? I think I mentioned a bit in the past. I think it's, it's OKRs. You know, it's something to go back to like the fundamentals of how to manage a team. Um, you know, I have now a nice uh, size team. Uh, again, it doesn't fit like every size of company, but uh, I think, you know, like if, for my director of user acquisition, I tell them, okay, you're measured on leads, and revenue and all that. But for my director of content, and again, it doesn't have to be a director. I mean, even if you have just two people on the team, whoever does content, I tell them like, it doesn't matter at all. Like for you, MQLs, SQLs and all that, create high quality content. Like I said, like we measure it for like 300 comments or whatever. And that is your role. And then like he is incentivized here, she, depending who you are, like are incentivized to just create high quality, fun, interesting content without that, you know, pressure of just checking, okay, how many leads uh, each thing brought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've heard, and I do tend to agree with this, that your your content should either entertain, it -hmm. should either educate, or it should inspire. And if you can do all three of those things in some way, shape or fashion, um, then you're really going to be killing it. So in your opinion, like what are the best ways to keep people excited about your content? Does anything come to mind? Um, yeah. So I hundred percent agree with what you say. I think that's also like our North star. And that's why I really believe in like edutainment, you know, mm-hmm. education, entertainment, uh, we are selling, if we're more specific, to FP&A experts, financial planning analysis experts. It can be a director of fp Again, it could be like a CFO, but it's very, very niche. And I think most startups are niche. Like most startups, mm-hmm. you're not like a Facebook or a Google or something like that. You're focused on a very specific target audience. So when we create content, like I don't care if it's boring or for most of the for 99% of the population or 99.9, but I want that 0.1% of the population, the ones that are my target audience, you know, the FBA pros people in the corporate finance and the finance department to say, wow, this is content that's focused on me and my friends and my colleagues. And whether it's, you know, funny memes that make them laugh or maybe it's like thought leadership stuff that makes them think. Uh, and I see it, you know, as uh, the same way you would think about like a TV channel. If you have like, you know, the nature channel or like, I don't know, like, or a channel that talks only about celebrities, you know, you're focused like just on one thing. So it's the same thing. I want them, like the FBNA pros, to tune into our channel, whether it's on LinkedIn or YouTube. Like, I think the holy grail is to have people, for example, for me, like FBNA pros, 
I want them to go and check out like what data we posted yesterday. Even if they're not even using like our software, just because they know we produce good content. And I can give an example, like a company that does a good job with that is Gong. Mm-hmm. I think like salespeople really love, you know, following Gong, even if they're not even Gong users because yeah. they create great content for them. You know, the thing that people have to watch out for, especially marketers, is that when you niche down like that, and which is a good thing, typically these startups, they have, you know, their their core persona, their core customer that they're going after, right? And because of that, you're going to see less vanity metrics when it comes to likes, comments, you know, engagement overall online. But when you dig in deeper to be like, you know what, look who's commenting or look who liked this post. If it's people in your target target audience, at the end of the day, 100,000 likes of people that have nothing to do with your brand or wouldn't even buy your product, as opposed to 100 likes from people that would be your ideal customer or your ideal buyer, that's way better. And I think that many marketers fall into the trap or maybe they just get pushed by the C-suite to be like, well, where is the engagement? And it's like, you think you're going to get a lot, but remember, just like you said, if you're going to be impacting that 0.01% of the people that actually matter, that's what matters, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's why, you know, like when I came to the company last uh, October, that's what I changed. Like all the content was just focused about us, you know, how mm-hmm. fun it is to work in the company, all the things that just uh, bragging about, like, oh, we're the best, blah, blah, blah. And you see, like, there are there were likes. It's not that there weren't likes, but all of them are, like, for company employees. It's boring. Mm-hmm. It's not something you don't do. I think also, like, in terms of HR marketing, like, you don't want to do something like that. You want to create content that, like, uh, your target audience actually wants to engage with. And, yeah, like, one of the things, you know, you touched a bit about it before. Like, you know, now we're creating, like, uh, social SDRs, you know, to check out, you know, the people that like and comment, you know, your stuff and maybe, you know, approach them uh, immediately. So think about like sophisticated ways of how to do that without you know, feeling like uh, too, uh, you know, uh, too weird. <laughs> but yeah, like that, that's the only thing that matters is like your target audience, like getting them to interact with you and going back again to my point, like why the goal for my director of content is 300 comments. Because it's hard, but it's it's what we need. It's it's showing that we're getting traction from the right people. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to fall into the trap of wow, I'd love to get ten thousand likes from people that don't matter, as opposed to I'd rather get a hundred, hundred fifty engagements from people that do. And I know that that's something that I've fought because my thought process was like, well, you know, if our buyer came along and they saw that it had a lot of engagement, they see us as this legitimate brand. And, you know, maybe that's the case, but the amount of times that that would happen would probably be kind of slim. So at the end of the day, you really have to create content for the people that are going to be buying your product, something that is going to either one, help them in their career or two, help them in their personal life. And it seems like you guys are really killing it. Yeah, thanks. And like, and I'll add just like another thing about it. Like, you know, sometimes it seems like a crazy idea for marketers or used to have everything like one-sided, like I mentioned, like accounting comments. Sometimes you can just like get on calls with, you know, people in your target audience and just ask them, like, what do you think about our channel? Like, check it out. Or, you know, the influencers or other people, you know, just get their like qualitative feedback and uh, learn from them about what works and what doesn't. I think it's something marketers miss a lot today with everything being digital. Like sales get to talk with your prospective audience a lot. Marketers don't do it. And I think it's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So we're mixing up the show a bit, Aviv, and we're going to shoot a couple of questions your way that I've been asking, you know, our recent guests that have been on the show. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Obviously, we build websites and I always love to get insights as to what B2B SaaS companies can do better or maybe some mistakes that they've made when it comes to their website, right? 
Um, so in regards to your website strategy, what is something you've recently tried and did it work or did it not work? Okay. Yeah. So I can mention something actually from my previous company from work is that, you know, like they built a website before my time that, you know, like a design agency created, looked super cool and creative. But, you know, when I looked at the numbers, you know, I saw like about a 3% conversion rate. I'm like, I can do better than that. And what I did, which again is super basic. I like this Picasso quote that they say, you know, like uh, good artists copy, great artists steal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, especially like in SaaS, there's so many other SaaS companies. So I built like a new homepage based on best practices in SaaS. You know, you look at companies like Monday, Wix, Airtable, a lot of them. You build something, you know, inspired by it. Of course, you know, fitting your target audience and in your your product. And of course, like, you know, conversion rate went up like four times. Uh, And it's easy. It's like you don't need to like reinvent the wheel. There's like a lot of other companies uh, doing stuff. And again, like everyone does maybe something a bit different, but like, uh, you take the best practices, you try it, and usually it works because especially those big companies, they probably did like thousands of tests before, mm-hmm. you know, they came up with, with what their landing pages. So you want to take the shortcut. Yeah, absolutely. What were, so does anything come to mind for, you know, this was what it was before, this is what it was after when it came to those changes that you made? Yeah, so I think it's like, uh, like I mentioned, like the previous website was like super highly like designed with like pictures of like some like service provider, like field service provider sitting like, on a tree, like drinking coffee and like, it was very dark, uh, like scrolling through it. And like, it just made it like much more clear what you see in a lot of SaaS companies, you know, like white background, very clear, like um, touches on like, what's the value proposition, a lot of focus on the product. I think that's something that always works in SaaS. You know, sometimes people forget that, you know, like you, you see like all these pictures from different companies and you're just like, just show me the product. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, if you can actually see pictures of the product or GIFs of the product or even videos, that's what people want to see. Uh, yeah, it's like you don't want to have that kind of gate that tells them like, oh, if you want to see it, you have to like speak with a salesperson or even yeah. like sometimes even like sign up for a trial. It's like if people feel a commitment, like I'm landing on the landing page, like on the website, like just show me what this is. <laughs> there was this one time I went to a SaaS website and their product explainer video was gated with it. It wasn't even a simple email form. It was like a legitimate uh, 10 field form at least. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And I a hundred percent agree with what, you know, what you're saying about give them what they're looking for. A lot of times we, as marketers, we think way harder than we need to. And we make our, <laughs> our marketing way more aspirational than it needs to be when a lot of times they're coming there to find the product. Right. And I think that you kind of nailed that on the head and hundred percent agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, that's why also like, you know, I hire like a great like director of product marketing and like, one of our main OKRs, you know, for this quarter, like for the next one as well, it's like get our product out in the world. Like we want to do an academy where you can see like 15, 20 videos of the product. I did that also. I work is like my previous job. You want to do the explainer video. You want to show people as much of the product as you can rather than just gate it and tell people, oh, you have to like give your information to learn more about it. And again, it's it's hard to like A, B test it or something. You just know that it works you know, because yeah. you're a client as well. Like you buy other softwares. You want to be able to see stuff. And when I did it in my previous company, and then like I went and actually I took clients out like to dinner and lunches and all that, they always told me like how valuable those videos were, not only like in terms of like selling the product, but also like an onboarding rather than having to rely on like someone in customer success, you know, they can actually go and watch the videos and learn how to use the tool. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that A-B testing can be an excuse for some marketers and it obviously has its place, 
But a lot of times you just have to simply think, how would I engage on this website as a buyer? What is the easiest, simplest, clearest way for our buyer to get from point A to point B without a ton of crap in the middle and then just execute on it? And I think that a lot of marketers just make things way harder than they need to be. Yeah, I know, definitely. And I feel like, um, you know, like there's some things you want to edit. Let's say you change the homepage and your site, super important. Like you don't yeah. want to put something because you feel it's good and maybe the conversion rate is going to go down. Uh, but, you know, and a lot of other things, like it seems like people are doing test testing because like maybe they, the CEO had a disagreement. They're like, okay, so let's just <laughs> test it. Yeah. So it's like, you don't want to test everything. Like marketing, I think today is like much more of a science than it ever was, but it's still an art as well. Like, yeah. um, you know, you get caught up in all these tests and eventually you don't really do marketing. You just do tests all day and you just find, need to find like the right balance between the mm -hmm. two, the science and the art. Yeah. So like I said, we're mixing things up a bit. Um, my next question for you is, as a VP of marketing, what is a question that you wish someone would ask you? Oh, wish, oh, wish someone would ask me when, like, you know, like you now or? <laughs> so what is a question uh, in your field that, you know, you have, you have some insights into and no one's ever asked you and you're just like, wow, I would love to share some input on this, but no one's ever asked. Yeah, like um, how to create like, provocative content like how to create something that people comment on i think like most of the times like based on the discussion people ask like, how do you create more leads or how do you create like better a b tests and all that and i think that's a question people ask how do you create content people want to engage with and i think we touched on that mm -hmm. a bit before about how you want to work you know with the influencing fields the thought leaders clients and really you know uh make stuff that people want to talk about. And if they're not talking about it, it means like you failed, like you want to create engagement. You want people to disagree. And, uh, and again, like just think about, like I mentioned before, like as if you have like a TV channel, you want to create like a bit of the drama. You want to create like interest. You want people to want to watch your TV show. So it's the same thing here, like in B2B marketing, you want people to talk about you. And if you're boring and stale and you just say the same things over and over, it's boring. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you brought up that people are going to disagree with you. You have to go oh. to the left or to the right, right? You can't be in the middle with the vanilla content because that's where 90%, 99% of these brands are with their content. Take a stand and people are going to disagree, but that kind of adds to the drama and it gets more eyeballs to the content and really portray like what your point of view is and why. Exactly, because like, let me be direct, most marketers are cowards. And I used to be like that as well. It's like, because you're mostly afraid of like, oh, you're going to say the wrong thing, you can get fired. But again, it's like, especially in a startup, I touch about that like in my startup marketing course, I teach in a local university. It's like, people, marketers need to understand like, you know, you're not Steve Jobs and you don't work <laughs> at Apple. Yeah, like, you can't have this like really specific brand like that everyone knows and be very sensitive about exactly how you talk about like, in most startups, no one knows anything about your brand. If you're not going to create some noise, no one would care. Make people care. Uh, and one day when you're Apple, you can change, you know, like uh, what you're doing. Uh, maybe touching also on what we discussed in the beginning, you know, Apple versus Android and so on. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Aviv, to close us out, um, I'm going to give you the mic here, make you the podcast host for a little bit. If you have any questions you want to shoot my way, uh, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. So actually, like, uh, you know, not an easy question, but something I'm really like facing now. I'm doing like a rebranding mm -hmm. uh, for a company, not changing the name, but you know, all the colors and a logo and so on. And when I look at the checklist of everything I want rebranding, I want to have like a specific, you know, day we launch it. 
most things, you know, you can do like in a week or two if you have, you know, the right team, you know, it's like all the PowerPoint presentations, the swag, you know, like uh, social challenge updates. The problem is always the website. Mm. And then the question is like, how can you do it like in a faster way? Because I'm thinking, why, why? if I have now a new brand book, like it's going to take me like two, three months to just rebuild like all the pages in the site. So I should really wait two, three months before I launch a brand, or maybe I can do it like in different phases. Like, I really don't know, but it feels like that's the main like bottleneck here, like, you know, the yeah. website for a yeah. brand. Yeah, I've noticed the same thing because, you know, we've worked with clients where they're like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to be doing the website and then it's great. And then the next week they're like, well, we're going to be working with a branding agency. And then we're going to have to, you know, after that, we're going to move on to the website and it can really become this bottleneck. Um, so the first one is really, you can uh, simply ask the web development agency if they have a expedited fee, because a lot of them do, right? A lot of times there's projects that are in front and you can get to the front and probably knock off six weeks off the project. So that's kind of agency dependent. Um, the second thing is, like you said, do it in phases. Um, so for example, you can work on your content and get that to the development team, right? And I know that's part of a rebrand, but you can at least start on something and get something so they can start building. Um, another thing that I've seen is basically start on the development before the copy is ready and before your, your design is necessarily ready. So they have the staging environment, they can get the structure. So for example, like a very rough wireframe of what you want your navigation to be. And again, it really all points back to like how deep this rebrand is, but that can knock off a couple of weeks from, you know, getting, going back and forth with your development team, handing them that content ahead of time is it can be key. And then on top of that, um, it's really just not uh, waiting too long on, on the rebranded content side of things, because I see a lot of uh, companies, they're just like, you know what, we want to do both and here's our timeline. And then it takes forever to get the, the content in the development side of things. And it's, it's just this bottleneck, like you mentioned. So hopefully that answers your question. Just going back in the, a couple of hacks wow. that we found along the way to just to kind of maybe work in tandem, work on one page and deliver the content for that page and then move on. Um, but so would, you're you not launch, like, would you launch a website if only like the homepage is rebranded and like other pages are not, or would you wait? I would, I would probably wait. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially if something's really high traffic, but what I mean by um, rebranding it page by page is let's say that you created the content for your homepage and then you've handed that to your developer. Now they can start building that page, right? So if they have the content, some of the imagery, mm -hmm. et cetera, now they're working in the background on that page. And now your branding agency and your content team can start working on your pricing page and your product page and any other landing pages. And then it's working in tandem. And again, that's like going to take a lot of facilitation, but if you know, a timeline is really an issue, that's something you can do. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. Thanks. Uh, great insights. Awesome, man. Any other questions before we go or are you all set? I think like, that's like the main thing. It's something I'll need to like uh, still keep pondering on. Uh, but you give me some uh, good insights here. Just like, I just really want to launch this rebrand. And I'm sure like every other yeah. PP marketing listening to this uh, might feel, you know, the same. Like you have it, you just want to put it out in the world. And it's not easier said than that. You know, what's funny is, at least in my experience, what's taken longest is the rebrand itself. And then the development and the design was like, okay, let's go. All right. Mm -hmm. And it's always waiting on the content. 
And then that delays the web development side. So it's it's funny that you're like, okay, we're almost ready. Let's just get this website launched and get this rebrand out there. So definitely wish you the best with it, man. Hopefully uh, it turns out well and you get some, uh, get it done in pretty quick time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> awesome, Aviv. Well, to close us out, I know you mentioned that you have a course. I know you're pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, why don't you share where people can find you and uh, learn more about you? Yeah, so I'm mostly like on LinkedIn, again, Aviv Kadani on LinkedIn, PP Marketing uh, here at the Data Rails. Like originally, like, well, we have a solution for uh, financial professionals. I don't know how much in the audience are finance professionals, but if you are, like, check us out. And I actually like I teach in a local university, actually back in Israel, uh, called Reichman University. Uh, again, not an online open course, it's just for people registered there. So if you happen to learn in Reichman University, sign up for my course. And yeah, it was great chatting with you, Sam. Uh, thank you so much for, you know, the stage. And yeah, like I love uh, following your content like I mentioned before. Absolutely, man. Well, thanks so much. And uh, this is a really good talk. Thanks again. All right. Thank you.